podcast is recorded on the traditional lands of the Camaraygal people of the Gurungai tribe of the Eora Nation. I pay my respect to elders past, present and emerging, and I extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may be listening. Hi, my name's Luan and this is the Rewritten Mead podcast, where I talk all things breast reconstruction after a mastectomy. Because let's say it like it is, having a mastectomy can be devastating. Sifting through all the information is overwhelming, the medical jargon's bamboozling, and it can be just plain scary and lonely. But you're not alone. That's why we're here. On the Rewritten Me pod, I talk to leading surgeons about all aspects of reconstruction. Nipples, belly buttons, foobs, Diep flap, and staying flat. I also talk to healthcare professionals who can help with everyday practical advice to support your mental, physical, and emotional well-being. And I talk to the wonderful women from our reconstruction community who so generously share their stories with you. We're all here to help you make an holistic, informed decision that's right for you so that you can have a say in how you rewrite your story. Hi everyone, welcome back to Rewritten Me. My name's Luanne, also known on Instagram as Luanne Laurie Woods, and today we are talking about implants. There's lots to talk about in relation to implant-based reconstruction, just with, uh, as with any reconstruction really, but for today we are focusing on understanding more about under-the-muscle and over-the-muscle implants, which you sometimes see referred to as UTM or OTM. What are they? What's the differences between them? And what might dictate your decision to have one over the other? So I'm very grateful that Associate Professor Sanjay Warrior joins us today to talk about UTMs and OTMs. Dr. Sanjay Warrior is a consultant breast surgeon at the Chris O'Brien Lifehouse and designated chief surgeon for Sydney Local Health District Breast Screen. Sanjay is passionate about patient care, teaching and research. And he undertook extensive post-fellowship training in breast surgery, consolidating surgical techniques in both an oncological and reconstructive setting. He is an associate professor of Sydney University and the breast research lead with the Royal Prince Alfred Institute of Academic Surgery. And Sanjay is the co-founder of the master's degree in breast surgery run through the University of Sydney. He is the immediate past president of Breast Surge ANZ or Breast Surge ANZ and sits on advisory committees with the New South Wales Ministry of Health and the Cancer Institute. And he also sits on the Sydney Breast Cancer Foundation Committee. So I'm very pleased to say, welcome, Sanjay. Good morning. Morning. Thanks for having me, Luan. Uh, thank you so much. Thanks so much for joining us, particularly on an early, early Friday morning. It's, uh, it's great to see you and great to have you here to talk about a subject that I've had quite a few questions about, um, about really. Excellent. And I really appreciate, uh, appreciate your time. So thank you so much. Not, not at all. So when we're talking about under the muscle or over the muscle implants, um, what muscle are we talking about? So the, the muscle we're talking about is pectoralis major, which is the biggest muscle on the um, front side of the body or the anterior aspect of the body is what, what we uh, medically call it. And ultimately, it's a muscle that... Um, comes across from the clavicle, which is up close to the collarbone, mm-hmm. comes into the middle onto the sternum and then across and it actually has an insertion into the, um, actually into the humerus. 
and so it it um it it's a really large muscle it's um something that um if people who are doing bodybuilding they take a lot of pride in building it up and mm. um it's a very important functional muscle okay thank you and I mentioned the acronyms there for under the muscle and over the muscle, UTM and OTM, but there are other terms that are used that we sometimes hear um, about them, aren't there, that make reference to that muscle? Yeah, so under the muscle, over the muscle is terms probably used in the community from a surgical perspective. We tend to call the um, the implant that's placed or device that's placed above the muscle, we tend to call it a pre-pectoral reconstruction whereas mm. when it's under the muscle we tend to call it a subpectoral recon reconstruction okay so we tend people to might yeah so people might see those terms or might hear their surgeon um, make reference to those to those terms in that way so thinking about under the muscle implants what's involved with that what's done you know, what happens to the muscle? Is it cut to do it? What, what What's entailed in that particular implant, Sanjay? Yeah, so with regards to historically, I think um, when we're talking about under the muscle, we're talking about complete coverage under the muscle. And mm -hmm. the idea would be either it's a cut in the middle of the pectoralis and it's separated apart and then dissected and the important aspect to that is making sure that it's um, dissected below the insertion of the pectoralis major on the lower aspect so that the implant doesn't ride too high and, and also that it's not over dissected too high. Otherwise, the implant will again ride too high. So there's a couple of considerations with dissection with a, with a complete um, subpectoral or under the muscle coverage. Relating to a variation on it, which has happened with time, is that there's we, we talk about a dual plane mobilization, which is dividing the pectoralis major at its um, entry point into the inframammary fold and lifting that aspect up. So really, the under the muscle aspect includes the upper pole and maybe including onto the mid part of the implant but the lower part of the implant is really not being covered. So okay. that, that and, the, and then in the um, reconstructive um, setting, we use some ways to, to, to cover that between um, the skin and the implant. Okay, okay, thank you. So if the muscle is cut and there is that movement of that muscle, is that muscle weakened? How does it, does it repair? How, what happens? Yeah, so if you're, und, if you're, T tending to die and I'll try and show it like if you're tending to dissect across and then up a mm. bit um there still the use of the muscle will be there but mm. um um it it is something that um potentially there is a risk of some weakening but a lot of people that are having it and it's common in the augmentation space where they do dual plane mobilization um it's not uncommon. These are patients that are going to the gym and um, are generally tolerating that. And they're, they're taking that um, aesthetic improvement over the potentially um, the minor differences that they may note on, um, in terms of functionally. Okay. 
And, and thank you. And you mentioned the dual plane mobilization there that at the bottom you can do some, you do some additional work there. What, what would you do? Yeah, so in the recon setting, I think um, in the recon setting, we tend to use some sort of support and it's a sling that we'd use. And initially we were using it only in that place where, where we would dissect the muscle off and then place either a synthetic or a biologic mesh. And, um, and the idea there was to provide support and recreate the inframammary fold. And the purpose of that was twofold. One is to provide um, support and to make sure it doesn't displace laterally, which is okay. the outer aspect of the breast. Yeah. Is that the acellular dermal matrix? Yeah, so with regards to um, what we're talking about um, is an acellular dermal matrix, which is a, a fancy term for, um, and that's the biological aspect. What, what that is is ultimately it's a, um, a piece of often the skin of um, and in Australia, the common one is a human-derived matrix, which we call FlexHD. Mm -hmm. But there have been other ones used in the UK. Um, there, are, there are other brands used based on cows and pigs. But the si similar sort of um, idea of having um, a cut of the dermis and taking off the um, top, so taking the skin and taking the top layer of the skin and the, the idea with it is just based on how thick it is and the cut within the skin surface. And mm. then the idea then is the, that particular piece of skin is treated so that the, all the cells are removed and then it goes through a very thorough treating and um, quality control to make sure that um, it doesn't have any cells in it and, mm. and, and then at that point, it's appropriate for potential usage. But there's okay. a very significant processing pro approach to make sure that piece is, you know, sterile and also doesn't mm. have any cells. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I can remember when I first heard about it and I was like, oh, uh, you know, like, <laughs> I was like, I'm not sure about this human-derived kind, um, kind of thing. But, yeah, when it was explained to me what happens, it was like, okay, I kind of get that and I, I like that term that sling that really explains doesn't it what it's actually yeah. doing doing there yeah it's actually as a hammock in that lower pole yeah. and the idea with it i think when the idea with it is if, and we'll probably cover this in terms of complications but they're really with a, an, an implant and what can happen if it's just under the muscle is there's a risk of you're not letting the implant do what the implant shape is meant to do and you're not mm. getting enough lower pole projection mm. and so that to try and alleviate that lower pole pressure the idea of releasing to allow that that lower pole to um the implant to do what it's meant to do is the idea behind it okay yeah. and could i i wonder if i could ask you to explain a term that you're using there for the audience and it's the pole when you when, when you say pole what do you mean there yeah, so it's just what we're yeah what we're talking about is with relation to the nipple. So below yeah. the nipple is really the lower pole, mm -hmm. and the 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 idea with the breast is um, from the nipple to the um, 
the crease where the breast ends, mm -hmm. which is what we technically call the inframammary fold, that that area there is the lower pole. And really what we're wanting to do is to have the traditional sort of curve on that um, um, can, to keep that ideally. Yeah. They, that's the acellular dermal matrix. And you mentioned a synthetic mesh, you said, sorry, a synthetic um, type of that as well. Is that something that's used in Australia as well, a synthetic type? Yeah, there is one that we've been using that um, we um, that that's known as um, it's a titanium-based one, and it it is one that um, has provided generally um, amongst surgeons that have been using it reasonable results. But it's it's mm -hmm. something that I think the the thing with it there's ongoing collection of data to see, you know, what are the outcomes associated with them. Mm -hmm. but it's a it's called tyloop and it's a titanium based mesh okay and is the dis, you know the the choice rather of using one of those over the other is that a simply like a, a surgeon's choice on what they like to work with and what results yeah. they like to get with it yeah i think like ultimately it's it's a a mix of decisions around it and um but often it's Amongst big units, I think that really it will be come down to the surgeon making a call relating to what he feels he gets the best results with. Yeah. And um, but commonly with the um, the acellular dermal the dermal ones, there is it, it tends to be um, something that's covered by the health funds, so it's something mm -hmm. that's more accessible within the private. Um, mm -hmm. Whereas the um, the titanium meshes will, can be used in both, essentially. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's really interesting. Thank you. I recently did a podcast with Dr. Melanie Walker talking about access and the finances and how yeah. things are funded differently. So, yeah, listeners, uh, check that one out to understand a little bit more about the differences with the public and private um, there. Uh, before we move back to talk about over the muscle and then the differences between the two and um and recovery and complications so whilst we're talking about the acellular dermal matrix um when i was talking to somebody in the community about the fact that we were going to do this podcast um they raised a question with regards to um a type of product called flex hd being used for implants and whether it's used off label for breast reconstruction um so they wanted me to ask you that question, and I know we chatted about this beforehand. I'm not just springing it on you. No, <laughs> um, but I wondered if you could explain that, because I think if it's a question that's coming from one person, it's usually, you know, more than one person that has that question, and their concern was about that. So firstly, I guess, what does off-the-label mean, or off-label rather mean? I think it probably, like, not, not, I'm probably not an expert, to be honest, with regards to the terminology, but, like, um. I think what that means is the evidence is around use of something in another area maybe and then we're using it within the area where we feel it's been more useful and like with regards to the preclinical data with flex I probably am not the great like the the best to pull up you know whether or not um it's something that 
like where the data is relating to preclinical, but with regards to um, the TGA at the moment has felt that this product is reasonable with and feels that the outcomes associated with it have been reasonable and um, that's been our clinical experience across across busy surgeons in Sydney. But it is a reasonable um, question. Like I think products can come in and what is important is when we're using it that there isn't one is what's the evidence behind the products and the second part of it is what is the outcomes associated with it and mm. I think if we can learn anything from other areas in the body and use of um, products I think probably the biggest thing is that we're capturing outcome data and it is something that we are doing relating to implants by trying to encourage surgeons it's not mandatory but we're encouraging surgeons to register their patients for the Australian Breast Device Registry. And um, the other bit with that is hopefully when it comes to meshes and when it comes to dermal matrices, which is um, synthetic or natural tissue that's being brought in as an internal support, that um, we're capturing data associated with their outcomes. And that, that's going to be an important aspect. Yeah, great. Great. Thank you. So, uh, and thanks for... Um, the person that's asked that question as well like you know absolutely there's no silly questions and I think definitely if somebody with one person's thinking it I'm sure that there are many others so thank you Sanjay we talked a little bit there then about um, under the muscle so this might seem a really obvious question now what is over the muscle <laughs> what is the difference between the under the muscle and over the muscle implants the key differences so um, the so when we talk about over the muscle, what we're talking about is leaving the pectoralis alone. So the idea there is that we're actually placing, so once, and, and whether it's in a augmentation or in a reconstructive setting, um, it's just leaving the pectoralis alone. And just um, if we've done a mastectomy, um, basically what we'd have is the skin, then we'd have the support um, which is what we've been talking about, the synthetic or the biologic, and, mm. and, and then you'd have the device at that mm. point. So one of the potential benefits of that is that you're not touching that big anterior abdominal muscle. So from a functional mm. perspective, I think there's definitely an advantage to potentially having it over the muscle. You're less likely to get things such as... Um, um, animation deformity, which is something that we see sometimes where when a device is underneath the muscle, mm. um, where the, when you move your muscle, the implant moves with it. So that, mm. that, that, it, that takes that out. But it's every, every area that you place an implant comes with its own risk. So the risk with it, that um, the beauty with having it under the muscle is you'll get more coverage, but over the muscle, um, the risk is that if the implant is not projecting on the skin, you can end up like an empty balloon. Uh, so an empty balloon or an empty basketball is probably a better example where you start to mm. see the rippling, um, you see the folding, and that's what yeah. we call um, rippling. And mm. um, that's common, particularly if you've got thinner skin and mm. your skin flaps are thin, then mm. or, and if there's undersizing of the device, essentially. Okay. 
Right. Yeah. So that that's key key there as well. Yeah. Um. Like, thank you for mentioning rippling. Somebody somebody mentioned that. Um. When I put a shout out to say we were doing uh, uh doing this podcast um today, and I, I'm going to come back at that in a second, but I wanted to just touch on you mentioned again there the support. So if you're having um an over the muscle implant, um you are still using some form of support um and matrices yeah. there. It, is it more of it used? Is it not just a sling or a hammock? Is there more used because? Yeah, that's a great question. So that the that and it is something that we're mindful of. But the the idea of um, compared to having a a sling underneath, mm. we'd be using a larger amount. Mm. And so in the synthetic synthetic form, they're actually formed as a little um, pocket which is quite, quite neat. So yeah, you can actually just yeah. slip the implant in and it provides a nice um, pocket for, for it to sit in. And yeah. but with, with the um, Flex HD, for instance, which is the biologic again, we are look using a larger component. Uh, we're using the same amount, but we're not needing to cut as much. We're using the a larger piece essentially. Uh, yeah. Does that help then with that kind of, you talked about... Um, one of the areas that may be of concern for over the muscle is if somebody's got really thin skin, if they've got that, uh, that, that over, does that, does that help at all? I think it does because mm. I think if you, and just sort of digressing slightly, um, mm. and this is slightly technical, but when we were going under the muscle, we were, we used to historically um, do a two stage, which meant putting an expander in. Mm-hmm. And um, that was some a device that may not have a lot of fluid in and then fill up. Mm-hmm. Um, with regards to over the muscle, we're tending to use a lot more immediate implants, but there are periods where we may put an expander and with what we, but it'll have fluid immediately in it. And mm-hmm. when you have that device in, what it allows is the skin and the mesh tend to fuse together. And what what it allows is one is it allows for um, an Im, a reduction in that rippling because you've got a thickening there. But on mm. top of that, it allows for an, a scaffold with regards to the scaffolding. So what what happens is by by putting the mesh there, it's doing twofold. One, it's improving the thickening of the skin. So it reduces the likelihood of rippling. But the other aspect is with an expander under and at exchange to an implant, what we are doing is we're actually placing fat between the mesh and the and the skin and, and the, the mesh actually acts as a great scaffold for that. Okay. And so that's another way that we can reduce rippling. Great. Okay, great. Thank you. Because I do know that is a concern um, for some people in the community there. Again, it's all those discussions, isn't it, with your surgeon about how they're going to approach and what strategy are they going to use? Yeah, I think it is. And um, there may be variation across the country in terms of how people are approaching it. And ultimately, the important thing is, I think as a patient, which when there's a lot of information, it's important to be as informed as you can be about mm-hmm. Uh, which is difficult sometimes at a time when you're having a diagnosis and having things done, but just understanding the pros and cons up front, then if something were to happen, you'll have a better understanding of, 
you know, potentially I was expecting that or mm. so um, it's important to have that upfront knowledge. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And thank you for being part of helping to inform on that and coming on the podcast, Sanjay. It is really, um, it's really appreciated. And yeah, it's such a big decision, isn't it? And it's usually, you know, one of the most vulnerable times in your life when, it, yeah, lots of learnings going on and very emotional and very overwhelming. Yeah. So, so thinking on that then, the two options that you've got there, and working with the patients that you do and the caring for the patients that you do, what what might dictate the decision to choose one type of uh, implant over the other with regards to under the muscle and over the muscle implants? Yeah, so for, for, for me, we're tending to do more over the muscle now. Mm. We're tending to do less under the muscle. And that's just mm. a personal um, thing. I think it's similar to majority of our units um, here but in, in and we're based in Sydney. But the reason that... Um, that a patient that potentially could benefit from having a partial under the muscle would be someone who has um, thinner skin, who's thinner, potentially where the concern is, okay, I'm concerned about rippling or the fact that the, the device might be very evident Then the idea of having, you know, a dual plane where, where we're lifting up the muscle and having a lower pole hammock mm-hmm. or a complete subpectoral or under the muscle implant may be more appropriate but mm-hmm. the reality is a, a lot of our implant work and some of it is two stage where we are putting an expander and then using an implant with a view of trying to just really get that result right with that second stage and fat grafting yeah. and mm-hmm. um, rather than necessarily needing it so much for expanding the skin which was the historical reason but majority mm. is over the muscle now. And it's primarily the cohort we're dealing with. Uh, functionality is a significant consideration. And mm. um, we find that anecdotally at least, and there's been a meta-analysis showing that there's a reduction in animation and um, contracture associated with placing it over the mm. muscle. Okay. And would radiotherapy, if somebody's having, if it's in a breast cancer setting and they're having radiotherapy to the breast, would that come into a, the decision making around your approach to that? I think ultimately um, where you have radiotherapy, I think um, what it can do is thin the skin, but it can also can lead to contraction around any sort of prosthetic mm. device. And ultimately... Um, with that, I think there will be surgeons out there who may decide to go under the muscle in that group, and yeah. and and that's an, their idea is thinking, okay, we don't want to potentially lose the device, mm. want to have appropriate coverage, and that's the, the thinking behind it. Mm. The flip to that is that when it's under the muscle, there's a higher risk of having contracture. Um, so you're balancing two mm. two factors. One is the thickness of the flap. The second part is how the whole, um, how the implant will sit under the muscle. So it is something that some of our colleagues are putting under the muscle. Mm. Mm. But for Thank us, you. I tend to, I tend within that group, I think um, we're tending to put a, um, and we're, we're tending to put a temporizing expander in that group mm. and do an immediate delay where we come back and do 
if they have enough tissue, it would be an autologous reconstruction, which is using their own tissue. Alternatively, if they're really not wanting that after they've seen some of our colleagues, they may have an exchange if they're an appropriate candidate. But being mm -hmm. cognizant that um, that there may be a re revisional rate down in the future associated okay. with it. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. And um, thinking then about the cancer, breast cancer treatments that might uh, that somebody might have, if they had a port. Um, and sometimes after treatment, that port will stay in for a little while, won't it, afterwards? Does yeah. that impact, like, what type of implant reconstruction that you can have? Or No, good question, but it, it doesn't because um, the reality is the port are often placed very high, the scars, and they're often not within the, the, not within the pocket. And there's, mm -hmm. not a, there's not an increased risk of infection, which may be a a thought that's going through associated with having a port there and then putting mm. it on top of the muscle. Mm. Okay. So really about having that holistic, obviously there's a holistic view with regards to what other treatments happening, but the holistic um, discussion around what it is that, uh, that you want from it, having the realistic discussion around what your life is like as well does exit like the type of exercise that you might do or physical activities, can that impact on what, might be a better choice for you? I think if someone who's um, doing a lot of activity, who's, you know, using their pec pectoralis a lot, mm. there may be a, um, a discussion around, like, trying to leave the muscle alone and, and put it on top, whereas someone who's really concerned about that um, decolletage area and mm. really not keen for, you know, and very thin, like that would be the group that potentially you're almost treating it like an augmentation and lifting up the the um, pectoralis major. Okay, thank you. I did put a shout out on Instagram uh, to see if anyone had any questions and somebody asked things about, uh, about exercise really. And it was, you know, what is the impact particularly on high intensity strength training? So can they still... You're not giving any personal advice here. It's general advice. But, you know, is there an impact on really high-intensity strength weight training? By um, having one or the other? Yeah. I don't believe so. Like, I think there is a small group, cohort, that may have, um, if if there's the device migrates um, to the outer bit or above, um, mm. or they're, they're noticing functionally, like, that they're, it's, they're getting... Um, contracture around the device, then um, that there's a potential risk there. But like ultimately, the majority are okay. But the um, if they're gonna really because and the reason is I've got a lot of patients who've actually who've historically had um, partial coverage and are still very active and. Um, but at the same time, now we're tending to put them over the muscle. We're not seeing that. There's no, there's no um, concerns. Okay, great. Thank you. Thanks, Sanjay. So we talked there about the difference between what happens with an under the muscle and over the muscle implants. What are the downsides? I mean, you referred to some of them, but what are the downsides and potential implications of one under the muscle and over the muscle implants. So if we were to start with um, 
both of them. I think the first thing is with implants generally, um, the the risks include um, the idea that there's an issue with the quality of the skin of a reconstruction. And with that, that can lead to um, potentially infection or um, or to actually skin loss. And the way that we we sometimes reduce that risk is assess the skin during the mastectomy flap. And then when we talk about um, implant infections, there are things that can increase the risk of that. That that includes systemic treatments such as chemotherapy and radiotherapy. And there it all at remembering that it can just take one bacteria into a device to potentially lead to an infection. But when we're talking about mm. between uh, above the muscle and below the muscle, if it were to start with a, a below the muscle, the risks associated with below the muscle include the fact that the implant can, like we spoke about before, go to to the side or go to hide. And the re reason it can go high is because of forces on the lower pole, which is the lower aspect of the implant. And um, and it just pushes it pushes it up and to the right or to the left, depending on which side, but outer aspect of the of, of the patient. The other bit with it is if it's not released properly, um, you can lead mm. to when you move your the big muscle, which we've spoken about, which is pectoralis, you could end up with animation deformity, which is we talk about, which is you can see the implant moving with use of the muscle. And um, this can also be um, distressing for patients. Mm. The other aspect that we do see includes um, where the mesh has been inserted into the muscle that can lead to a step deformity at that point. And um, that's something to be mindful of. And it can the, the way to correct that is to um, potentially place fat into that space or potentially revise it at a, at a second stage. Relating to um, the other thing that can happen with um, whether it's above or below the muscle is contracture, which is the uh, layer of your own tissue can form around the implant and that can cause a lot of discomfort for patients that's increased by other treatments such as radiotherapy. And I, I don't believe it's necessarily reduced by having it under the muscle. I think ultimately having the muscle on top can actually lead to a higher contracture rate. So that um, that's our feeling on when it comes to under the muscle. Um, the good thing with under the muscle relates what we've been speaking about is the degree of coverage between the implant and the outside world, meaning air. So the likelihood of losing a device probably reduces by having it under the muscle. Um, by having it over the muscle, you're negating animation deformity, most likely you're, you're reducing the likelihood of a contracture. It's functionally a better feel for the patient. And if you've got a quality mastectomy flap, it's likely that, and and reasonable skin flaps, um, it's likely that you can get a good result with it. 
Um, the, the things to think about is that it is, however, just the device, then the mesh, then the outside, and, and then the skin. So the, the risk of any minor breakdown in the skin, we're not that far away from the device. And with that, um, that can lead to needing to revise either the skin, if that happens, or sometimes irrigate the pocket and replace the implant and sometimes um, leak, very rarely, leak, but it does happen where we need to just take the device out, let everything settle and look at other alternative reconstructive mm -hmm. options. The other aspect with it is like we spoke about the idea that if the implant's not fitting the pocket size, there's a higher risk of um, rippling, which is um, like the deflated um, basketball we were talking about in terms of trying to picture it. And the ways around that is by the fact that we're using a mesh to provide extra coverage and there is the possibility of staged placing fat, which we call lipofilling, to thicken the skin envelope around the device. So that 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 is the advantage of uh, no that that's a, one of the complications associated with above the muscle, um, and yeah, so they, that's basically the way that I see those two types of reconstruction. The important thing to remember is that if you are doing an above the muscle reconstruction, the 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 thing to remember is generally in Australia we would be using some sort of mesh support which includes either biologic or a synthetic mesh. The, um, but there is a, a possibility of just having the one operation as well, rather than necessarily needing two operations if you, you're not using a mesh, that is. Okay, great, thank you. Thank you, Sanjay. Lots to take into consideration there. And um, I know we don't want to think about complications, but we have to be in about them um, but I think it's good to have those discussions because it also outlines what the um, what can be done you know for those you know um, complications should they happen so thank you for outlining that I think it's important that patients have a realistic expectation of what we, it's always a balance you don't want to be you know um, scaring the patient but you want them to understand what the journey is going to look like and what are the things to look out for so that can be addressed. And so we're helping them through a very complex time in their decision-making. Yes, yes, thank you. And, and it's we talked about informed decision-making and it's not just about knowing all your choices, but it's about being informed about what the, the benefits, potential downsides and complications um, and what life after reconstruction will be like. So that's really important for us to know that information thank you so much and then I was thinking life after under or over the muscle implant based reconstruction and that will include surveillance um, for breast cancer is there a difference between those two under and over the muscle implant reconstructions when it comes to surveillance so the reality is there's not a lot of data in this space when it comes to surveillance um, relating to um, outside of clinical um, assessments. So 
there are papers demonstrating that um, if you are doing imaging or you are doing clinical, the outcomes are similar. And generally, um, but if you think about it from a, a treatment perspective, whether it's a DEP or whether it's an over-the-muscle reconstruction, we're not really on clinical exam assessing the chest wall. And that is something just to be cognizant of. There are patients that we do um, ultrasounds on for their assessment of um, both their clinicals uh, of their skin and their muscle, but also checking the integrity of the implant as well. So there are a number of factors there, but actually um, when, when it's under the muscle, the reality is I think you could, you could definitely say that there's not a lot of extra benefit potentially to ultrasounds as a routine option, but there are patients recommending that they have that. And I think like we would generally work with the patient, essentially the one. Great, great. Thank you. So um, another question for your team, um, which they will absolutely be talking to you about anyway, but you know, if you just want to understand how it's going to work, ask them. It's all about having this dialogue and being able to talk to surgeons um, about what your concerns are or what you want to know. So thank you so much, Sanjay, um, for joining us this morning to talk about under and over the muscle implants. There's a lot to get there and it is obviously very personalized and individualized but I think you really got into the detail um, broadly for us so thank you so much for joining us today thanks Luana I appreciate you ha having me and I hope that the audience get things from this and like if they've got questions we're very happy to to hear from them and hopefully can help them at least give them you know an idea of what to expect what their options are and working with their team mm. to get the best options yeah. for them. Yeah, thank you. And I will put a link in the um, episode notes to where you can find Sanjay and his practice um, as well as the Sydney Breast Cancer Foundation that he's on the committee of and some of the organisations I spoke about as well. So uh, thank you. It's really important. This will be absolutely, I know, absolutely useful and helpful to the audience. As regular listeners will know, I do ask guests to share a lyric or a line from a song or a poem at the end of each podcast, something that might mean something to them or the subject we're talking about. So I'm wondering, Sanjay, would you like to share something with us today? Yeah. Thanks, Luan, for, for asking me to do this. So, um, one thing with me, I, outside of um, being a, a breast surgeon, I play a lot of tennis. I'm passionate about it. I mm. have been playing for many years, multiple comps, and um, with and you can see that from behind there, the four grand slams in the background. Mm. Um, so currently, it's it's Wimbledon at the moment, and with with it being Wimbledon at the moment, it reminds me of the if. Um, by Rudyard Kipling and mm. as you're walking through um, the Mid Wimbledon gates he, he has a, a number of lines from that from from his poem if which is if you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two imposters just the same so that they're the they're the two lines to share today Beautiful. Thank you. 
Thank you so much, Sanjay. Um, yeah, that's really poignant. Thank you. Um, what a note to finish on, but thank you so much for oh, sharing that. No, <laughs> um, thanks again for all your time. I know you're very busy um, and this really absolutely is going to be so helpful to the audience when they make the decision. Um, I really appreciate your time and you, Sanjay. Thank you so much. Thanks, Luan. Cheers. And thanks to listeners. If you've enjoyed this episode, please follow, rate, review and share. This is an independent patient advocate podcast and any help that you can give in sharing and raising the profile would be greatly appreciated. Thanks, everybody. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to the Rewritten Me podcast, produced on the traditional lands of the Camaray Gal people of the Gurungai tribe of the Eora Nation. If you found any of the content upsetting, please reach out and get help. Breast Cancer Network Australia have a free confidential helpline, 1800 500 258. And Beyond Blue have a range of free resources online at beyondblue.org.au. Or you can call them on 1300 224 636. And a reminder that the information in this podcast does not constitute medical advice. For personalised medical advice, you should seek a consult with a FRAX qualified surgeon or an equally qualified surgeon in your country.